Okay. I think we're good. I think that's that's about as set up as we're gonna get. Yeah, looks good. Airbnb. I think that these peaks are fine. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. Okay. Um, yeah. So sound quality may be a little iffy. <laughs> we're recording with a blue Yeti in one of the bedrooms of the Airbnb. There is testing going on in the next room. A ruckus to be had in in the room across from us. So yes, it's good. <laughs> and and a tiny little cat just. Yelling his little head off. Oh, yeah. That has been probably the highlight of the trip so far. Is Well, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm worried about her, him. Uh, but I, 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 think, I think she'll be fine. Hopefully uh, getting picked up. We found a cat in the wall that was apparently yelling all last night uh, into <laughs> uh, Chris and Max's room. Yes, very surreal. But... Uh, it's a cute, adorable little thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe like two or three weeks old. Yeah. Um, probably separated from its mother at some point and ended up in our wall. And uh, <laughs> no mother to be found. But no. we just ran to the store to pick up some little kitten food. And hopefully it will consume some of that before being picked up and taken to Fingers crossed. a better place for it. Yes. So. Not like heaven. No. It's like no. an actually better place. Yeah. Not our... Airbnb that we need to stay at for the next week. Yes. Um, But yeah, so this week, reporting live from the testing house in Dallas, Lee is not going to join us, but it is CCR and Collins. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. Back in action. We haven't recorded together in the same place in a minute. No, yeah. Yeah. Back when we lived together, it was much easier. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's cool. Uh, Yeah, I'm very excited about this week. We're here... Uh, we flew in yesterday, which was Tuesday as of time of recording. Um, and yeah, we're just going to be jamming magic until the tournament this weekend. Yeah. I, I was, I mentioned earlier today that I was thinking like, wait, why doesn't it feel like we have enough time to test? And then I realized it was cause I always think about Friday as the traveling day, but we don't have to do that. So I, you know, I'm feeling real good about having the rest of, uh, tomorrow and Friday and also, you know. Once we're done recording here, we'll go go back to it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I basically just want to go over the major archetypes in the format one at a time and talk about strengths and weaknesses going into the last week of testing and like where we think their positioning is. And, and I think that that will just lead us into kind of the general discussion of the format and sort of explain why our deck choices are where they're at right now. And uh, just as a fair warning, I'm not going to do a ton of editing to this episode. So you're (laughs) going to catch us like in our raw and uncut, like spending too much time thinking of an answer, saying um (laughs) and uh a lot. Uh, This is going to be the... Get ready for some ums and uhs. The live show. (laughs) It'll be good though. Um, Yeah, I am, as we speak, pulling up uh, the metagame breakdown from the legacy event i think that'll be like a good touchstone at least for me to look at so that that is the uh valencia regionals uh right yes the european event i should say the the legacy legacy. event not to be confused with the legacy format (laughs) right yeah um here we go okay yeah so for for those unaware of what i'm talking about there was a pioneer tournament in europe last weekend and it was like a 500-player tournament, so kind of like a decent sample size and to look into what we might be expecting. Yeah, it, it was the weekend. European Regional Championship, so it's oh, the it same thing that we're about to play this okay, weekend. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Yeah, just a bit I know, because they call it like the like championship, quali- like something like qualifier, open qualifier or something like that, but it's regionals. Right, okay, so it's the regionals event. So yeah, for Pioneer, and... Um, we have the metagame breakdown for day one and day two. so And that, so we have the conversion rates. That leads to some interesting extrapolations, for sure. Um, so, you know, if we want to start anywhere, we probably have to start with Red Black, Rakdos That's Midrange. That's fair. Um, it was the most popular deck by a lot in Europe. Uh, it held a 21.1% meta share for day one. Yeah. Um, and then it did well. And then it did well. Yeah, so the expected conversion rate for this tournament was 16%. Mm. And um, it had a 19, almost a 20% uh, conversion rate. So performing above expectation. And honestly, 
once you're twenty percent of the metagame, even just performing at expectation yeah. is like fine because right. you know it's we self correct towards a fifty percent win rate yeah. when you're that heavy, and people know how to play against Rakdos as well as they're ever going to know how to play yes. against Rakdos. It's, at this this point. is not a new deck, and it's not doing new things. It's just still doing them very well. Um, so a twenty percent conversion rate mm-hmm. over sixteen percent expected is really strong. Rakdos is good. Yeah. Rakdos is great. Um, A lot of people are playing it. Uh, And yeah, I think that that story just kind of tells itself a little bit. Um, There aren't really any like new innovations that I've seen out of Rakdos. People are kind of tinkering around with like various numbers. Do they want any Mute Vaults? How many Shieldreds do you want to play? Um, How many Sweepers do you want to play for Red White? Um, Like these are all the questions that Rakdos players are asking themselves. Um, But generally... You know, it's still doing the Rakdos stuff. Yeah, I'm still reasonably high on Mutavolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Castle is strong, and there are games. I, it's one of those things where I feel like Castle helps make up for your own mistakes in some of the matchups. Right. Where if you just like were playing near 100%, then you'd rather be a Mutavolt deck. <laughs> and um, and I, I am definitely still pretty on board with the like Jarvis U philosophy of like I want four Shieldreds because the best thing to do after they kill my Shieldred is always play another Shieldred. Right. Yeah, and if they're not killing your Shieldred, then either Shieldred shouldn't be in your deck or they're losing to it. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah. So uh yeah, so Rakdos is doing the Rakdos stuff. My one hot take on Rakdos is that you should cut your Urborgs. Yeah. And <laughs> Uh, I think that your Borgs are going to be a in a much higher frequency better for your opponent than they are for you. We keep seeing like mm-hmm. mana confluence not dealing a damage to opponents when they tap it for mana. Right. Like, I mean, the two big ones are mana confluence, mm-hmm. and like all the mana confluence decks are just begging for somebody to play an Urborg. <laughs> um, and then the other one is the Leyline Binding decks. So the Leyline Binding decks are usually all non-black, mm-hmm. right? So they will play some swamp triomes but um you're usually like black is like the splash color that they just kind of like incidentally have and giving them a swamp then they never have to fetch it they never have to fetch it they don't have to worry about it you know you're 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 making their leyline binding cheaper a lot of the time um so uh yeah i don't know i like and just like how often you got to ask yourself how often your work is helping you Mm -hmm. and you know if if you have answers for that question great you should you know consider playing it but if the answer is like i play urborg because it's a free one of you know you should probably cut it there is a cost and yeah. um one of the other small things that it can do is it lets their them save their fabled passage mm-hmm. they don't have to use it for mana until now right. i have an omnath and yeah. now my fabled passage cracking is or worst case scenario tap their fabled passage before turn three mm-hmm. as an untapped land yeah that has That's come true. up for me and that i mean being able to like play my fable of the mirror breaker when i like couldn't couldn't otherwise, otherwise <laughs> just because they made my tap land and untap land it, yeah it feels good yeah um yeah so that's that's my big big take i guess for now for for rectos i don't expect the meta to like adjust to rack nobody's gonna look at this and be surprised that rectos was so popular and <laughs> we then, gotta do something different and then now change their deck based yeah. on so like i think mm-hmm. rectos will continue to be heavily played and continue to well. be a fine choice if yeah. you are a rectos player mm-hmm. and as always in Pioneer, have a plan for the Rakdos matchup. Don't just show up and like hope that you're, you know... Right. If you're playing Blue-Eye Control, like understand why people don't like that matchup and do the things that you need to do to try to make it better, whether that's like registering for Memory Deluge or you know cutting your temporary lockdowns or whatever it is that, that makes that matchup work. Uh, you're going to play against Rakdos. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, next up on this list is Monogreen Devotion. Um, it showed up as the second most popular deck by a smidgen, 34 mono green devotion players in this tournament. Yeah, it is um, Rakdos gap. Yeah, Rakdos at 20%, um, and then a big gap to mono green devotion at 9%. Yeah. Um, so lots and lots of Rakdos, and then everything else is kind of like, you know, we, we have a couple of 9 to 7 percenters here mm-hmm. that we'll get into. So the, the, the top one of those is mono green devotion. 
Um, and Model Green Devotion had a good weekend. Mm -hmm. um, so the conversion rate for Mono Green was 23.5%. So above Rakdos. Really good, yeah. Um, so pretty pretty high conversion rate there compared to the expected win rate and then also like outperforming Rakdos in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think that... You know, before we get too far into this, we have to talk about this red-white convoke deck because it, you know, it it it's not very high up on this list, and it's not even like gonna be that represented, I don't think. But it's like the boogeyman of the format right now. Everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's scared of it. We're all over sideboarding for it, <laughs> and I think that there were some pretty severe consequences for that that you we're gonna see play out in these numbers. Sure. Um, the green devotion. Players, I think, were scared of red white, and maybe fewer people played and registered Green Devotion because of that. Mm -hmm. um, but the people who just held to their guns and were like, "I'm playing green," they were rewarded because yep. the, I think the bottom line is that red white did not show up in very high quantities at this tournament, and also got did its not ass kicked. Well. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, you definitely need some sweepers, and you need to respect red white a little bit, but. Um, I think that it was over-respected here, and the people who were just, like, just playing Pioneer cards mm -hmm. are, you know, going to be rewarded for that. Yeah, and I, you know, this is, we've now reached the first set of week, big actual tournament weekends where Pelucranos is legal. Mm -hmm. And I think that Pelucranos, it's hard to say that it, like, transforms the green deck, <laughs> but it gives it a dimension. Yeah. Like, that it, and generally just gives it percentage points in all of its bad matchups. Right. Almost across the board. Anything yeah. that you were behind in, anything that was like 42% is probably now closer to 45% or better. Right. Like, Spirits is worse against green now that Pelucranos exists. And yeah. No, it's pretty big. Reach creature at three mana. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, yeah, so green, you know, green, green is still great. Um, you know, the green before had a, like three flex blocks and now they're all Pelucranos. Yeah. So like now all of the deck lists are almost exactly the same. Uh, there's like one flex slot now, I guess. Yeah. Do you want to land there? Do you want a, a big expensive card? Do you yeah. want the fourth oath? Do you want an invasion? Don't spend too much time breaking your brain over this. Yeah. Get your sequencing down properly yeah and understand all of your matchups is way more important than that right. 60th card and and you'll be fine and there you know there's some consideration to playing a couple additional uh, ratchet bombs for red white <laughs> uh if you're scared of that um but I, it's my probably unnecessary my go out on a limb hot take for this weekend is just like don't. start pretending red white doesn't exist just don't worry about it, it yeah. yeah um yeah so okay so next up on the list then is blue white control and Blue Eye Control has the, mo the most interesting story of this tournament, <laughs> um, I think. So Blue Eye Control, um, at 33 players, made up 8.5% uh, of the day one metagame. Yeah, let's let's talk about that conversion rate, though. And then, in day two of the metagame, they had a 3% conversion rate. One person made day two with Blue Eye Control. Yeah, so out of the 33 players that showed up with Blue Eye Control, there was one in day two. Yeah. And that is a pretty significant story, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, Blue White Control is kind of one of those decks that, like, uh, you know, we always kind of make fun of a little bit because we are not Blue White Control players usually. <laughs> I let myself get convinced over the course of, like, the last three episodes slowly got pushed into <laughs> being like, okay, you know, Blue White Control is probably fine yeah and and i still think that that's true mm -hmm. but this conversion rate is something that we have to talk about yeah um and i think that i have a theory for why this conversion rate is what it is okay and that theory is that blue white control players were very afraid of red white convoke and maybe even some players who brought blue white to this tournament we're bringing blue white because they believed that it was going to beat up on red white convoke. I think that's kind of at the core of it. Is yeah. you bring it to to because it is one of the decks that just naturally has a good matchup against red white. Right. And then especially if you adjust a little farther towards that, playing mm -hmm. an extra temporary lockdown. Yeah. You know, I saw a lot of like sixties that had four temporary lockdown, mm -hmm. and that's a lot of temporary lockdown. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the blue controllers players, they were all like, all right, we're just gonna play a million temporary lockdowns. We're gonna beat up on red white. It's gonna be great. You know, we don't have to worry about these other matchups anymore because red white's gonna hate them out. And then six rounds into the tournament, there's just no red white. Convoke. Yeah, anymore. no red white to be seen. It didn't really show up, and it didn't really perform well. Um, you know, Boris Convoke 
also pretty abysmal conversion rate for this tournament. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I think that because they were like playing this deck to prepare for red white and then gearing their deck to beat red white, they just lost everything else. And I think that that is my prediction of why, uh, or that's my interpretation of this tournament and, and the numbers for it. Yeah. I think that they were just like, all right, we're going to beat all these other players. And then, you know, and then uh, I've heard that like the, the red black matchup is, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard that, the, I just bumped the table. Uh, the, the red white, no, the Rakdos matchup is like kind of scary for, um, for blue white control. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know Rakdos showed up in massive numbers. Yeah. So you know if that is true, then then um, and, Azorius got. And that's a matchup that I I think is heavily build dependent mm-hmm. on the you know on the blue white player side especially. And so if you're playing more temporary lockdowns and you're playing fewer memory deluges because you're trying to beat an aggro deck, then that's going to change your your Rakdos matchup quite a bit. I think. Right. For sure. Um. Yeah, and then uh, we have a, uh, a, a more favorite deck, at least for those of us recording the podcast, uh, is Is It Creativity? Yeah, and I think we're kind of talking about sort of that Is It core of spells in general. Like, the Is It interaction mm-hmm. is a solid stack of, like, 22 spells or so. 20, yeah. 22, 26 spells. And then you can add in the little, like, card advantage and top end stuff, whatever your favorite things are and so i've right. been doing it with gear hulk and creativity and i know that you have been uh pretty high on just chandra's at this point chandra turns <laughs> yeah um yeah so right so like the shell that we agree on is the divide by zero make disappear make fiery disappear, impulse fables fable yeah and then probably a couple behold the multiverse just has cemented itself as yes. part of right that. i think that yeah three i think we were both on three behold the multiverse i'm on two right now sure. it's a little okay. tougher to fit that into the yeah yeah um but i am a big fan of that shell mm-hmm. um and i know that the the popular and traditional builds of that are all creativity builds mm-hmm. and each creativity deck has its own flavor there's like three different flavors of creativity. There's Atraxa, there's Skier Hulks, there's um, Worm Combo. Um, and, uh, but there's a new deck kind of floating around in the past couple of weeks where people were like, I don't really think that creativity is actually that good. Mm-hmm. So w- let's look for a new top end. And this Chandra Hope speaking card is pretty busted. How can we break that? Um, so the list I saw a couple weeks ago was, um, like, four Chandra, four Allruns Epiphany, like, you know, and a throw in a whole Breaker Horror in the main deck, just cause. And, like, a, a Galvanic <laughs> Iteration or two. Right, and... yeah. And, um, you know, that deck was too heavy. Yeah. Uh, turns out, or, you know, at least what we've thought up is that, um, we're on three Chandras, three Beholds, uh, two Elrond's Epiphanies that might even just turn into Light Up the Knights at this stage. Um, and uh, my favorite part of that is the fact that you get access to some really good sideboard cards with uh, Reckoner Bankbuster and Sea yeah. uh, Shark. And if, these are cards that creativity decks are not allowed to play. If anything convinces me to switch over from creativity mm-hmm. to this, it's the ability to board in Reckoner Bankbusters against yeah. other blue decks and against Rakdos. Right. Yeah, it's really what breaks the blue mirrors. Like, you know, if I'm able... Like, you know, with your curve, you just you just don't can't do anything on turn two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm playing a Bankbuster on that turn, and then we're playing Drago, and I'm drawing extra cards, I feel really good about yeah. my spot. Um so, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Also, it helps the Rakdos matchup a lot. Um, I think that Rakdos is, like, close for Gearhole creativity mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, close to unfavored for Worm creativity. I think it, yeah, I think um, it is unfavored for Worm. Because, like, the Thoughtseize affects you a lot more right. when you're a big score deck. And... Um, but I, I think that this Chandra deck just is really good against Red Black. Yeah. Um, you know, not only do you get the... Um, like the sideboard stuff that's like really good with like the threats that draw cards, but also just Chandra. It's just you know if you can have a manageable board state and then play a Chandra, Rakdos is gonna fold to that. Yeah. Um, no, Chandra has looked really really impressive, mm-hmm. and I, I do think that it is a great top end to plug into this kind of deck. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about Chandra for a moment. Um, 
Chandra's a card that I had to read like five or six times before I fully understood <laughs> it. And I played, you know, a couple of leagues <laughs> to, to like really drill in all of these little nitbitty pieces yeah. of Chandra that you just overlook when you first read the card. Um, because, you know, you see the Chandra, six mana planeswalker, okay, it's probably busted or whatever, but I'm telling you, it's better than that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it comes down with five loyalty. And it's got a plus two to plus up to seven. And seven, the threshold of seven loyalty is like a really relevant a lot of the time. So there are some times where I like plus it up to seven and I don't even have anything to do with the mana. I'm just doing that to like make sure it lives for the next turn. Um, and then it has a plus one, so you can plus it up to six. And you exile five cards from your library and you can cast one of the instant sorcery spells from, from those. Mm-hmm. Um, until the end of your next turn. Specifically, right? until the end of your next turn. Mm -hmm. So you can, if on eight mana, you can play Chandra, plus it up, exile five cards, and if you hit like a make disappear, you have double mana leak for their turn. Because it, Chandra copies the first spell that you play every turn. That includes your turn, that includes your opponent's turn. So if you can play, you know, if you can like play Chandra, play a spell on your turn, it copies, and then you like have like a fading hope for your opponent's turn. That is huge. Yeah. Um, because, you know, your opponent might be like, all right, I have these two creatures or whatever, and, you know, you're either going to have to minus your Chandra to, and that'll be able to attack it down or something, and you're just like, Chandra plus your turn, Fading Hope, other of your creatures. Yeah. Like, really good. Really good. And especially if you, you know, if you're playing it late in the game, you have mm -hmm. like a treasure or two, and you're able to do some combination of Fading Hope and another, you know, Fading Hope on your turn. Bounce two creatures, and then you have two a doubled up counter spell or a doubled up divide by zero or something like that on right. their turn. Then yeah, um, yeah, and then uh, the minus X is just like really good for like a board clear. You know, if your opponent doesn't have any like hasty threats or or, mm. or like damage spells, you can just man lands. Yeah, yeah, you can just like play your Chandra, kill two of their creatures. Um, and one thing I talk about a lot with this deck is like you, your whole game plan revolves around keeping the board state at a Chandra manageable level, <laughs> where you know I want to be able to top deck my Chandra and then like kill their last two things. So I'm always trying to like make sure that if I have to leave threats in play, it's like at a Chandra manageable level. Um, and all that is to say that if you ever untap with a Chandra, you just find a way. The, the yeah. game is over. Yeah. I have never, ever, ever lost untapping with a Chandra. <laughs> it's just so wild. Because Chandra, like, if you don't have gas, Chandra finds you gas. If you don't have, if you're, like, tight on mana and need to do a lot of this stuff, you know, Chandra adds the mana. Um, she doubles up your best spell in your turn and then whatever instant you have left in your hand on your opponent's turn. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's a lot. Um, if you're, you know, if you're able to find, like, even just, like, a Behold the Multiverse or something, and then you cast that on your turn and you can, you know, you can dig through time and draw four cards... Um, and and then you pass on your opponent's turn, and then you're going to be able to like double interact on their. It, it, the game just is and it's, sure. it's over when you untap with Chandra. Um, and that's I think the the main call for playing Chandra for me is like, you know, you're able to play this like control role, make your land drops. You don't have to. For a while, we were playing big scores in the deck because we wanted to like turbo out our Chandras and like make the game end a little earlier. Big score is just uh, a liability in Pioneer, though. It's just yeah. not good enough. Big score, unplayable against any blue deck. If yeah. your opponent is able to interact with a big score on its stack, you know, that's so bad for you. Um, and it turns out that Behold the Multiverse is just, like, excellent in the blue mirrors. Yeah. So, you know, while it is true that your matchup against all non-blue decks would be better with big score, I'm just opting not to bother with big score. My matchup against all non-blue decks are already insane because they, like, can't interact really with my Chandra, and then I kill them. And it's kind of um, a wash against Rakdos, too. Like, Beholden... Like, big score could help you get there a little quicker against Rakdos, right. but Behold is extremely good against Rakdos. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, so you're definitely playing, like, the the draw spell that is good in your weaker matchups mm -hmm. to shore those up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so you just, like, you know, play this control role until you're able to untap and land Chandra, and then you're feeling great. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all, you know, what's really <laughs> important here is that we both feel that that core of is it interaction is well positioned right now the fiery impulses are killing things at a good rate mm -hmm. make disappear is really important to have for the twos and threes of the format yeah and then divide by zero just helps patch a lot of the holes 
as long as you have a big enough end game that, you know, that's the type of interaction. And that's what all of these Izzet decks are doing, is having a huge end game, whether that's 30-ing you or doing Gear Hulk Opus or doing the Chandra stuff. And, and that's what Divide by Zero really helps with, is bridging you to that point. And you don't need to permanently solve a Shieldred when you are just doing something that's way bigger than a Shieldred, ultimately. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, this is a deck is yeah back to the meta game yeah <laughs> transition back a little bit um, the the is a deck showed up seven um, percent of the meta game um, and uh, performed well uh, it had I think behind Lotus Field which we'll get to later mm-hmm. um, was the best performing deck with a you know above five percent um, meta, meta share, share. yeah um, so yeah I I think that the the positioning for these is an X is really good. I think that you can have a good Rakdos matchup. I think that you beat up on green usually. Um, and uh, Azorius Control is, like, close. It it's really depends close, on a lot yeah. of stuff. Um, I really... And it depends on your build. Um, but uh, you can you can have game there for sure. Uh, you cannot lose to Grease Fang. Um, and the Lotus Field matchup is also close, I think. Um yeah, and, and I know that you have done some work on that one. Like, your build has a couple of Narset's main deck, which gives you some legs in that game one. I am going to do some kind of focused experimenting around with Narset's Reversal and maybe a couple other options, too. If you want to really tech for Lotus Field, I think that Narset's Reversal is probably the best card that yeah. you can play. Um, I have read a couple of guides that say something like, you know, when is the time to play Lotus Field? It's when your opponents don't have, and the two cards of the name are a lot of uh, Narcissus Reversals and a lot of Damping Spheres. Mm-hmm. Like, and those are like the two cards that Lotus Field players are the most scared of. Yeah. Um, and especially if you are a deck that they are just like champing at the bit to Thought Distortion and right. just have your narcissist yeah. reversals then they're no longer as excited to just put just that thought distortion it. on the stack <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoops <laughs> turns out my whole hand went away yeah Bummer. so yeah definitely going to experiment around with that matchup some and and kind of one of the other things that's really important for me to figure out is how good is narcissist reversal against the other blue decks right now because mm-hmm. if it's a card that's fine to bring in like what's really obnoxious is that you can't get a memory deluge with it and yeah. I, that's like kind of a huge bummer there aren't a lot of cards that are great to hit outside of the lotus field deck yeah portal of the pages is insane you know all, all of the big right spells everything are out, of, out yeah. of lotus is great um you know every big spell that lotus can play is great to hit but then um i mean i think in the is it mirrors and against like the card uh dovin's veto and stuff you know there's there's spots and i just want to see if it is good enough in other matchups that it's not just a mm-hmm. a, a hyper targeted sideboard card yeah i think that it is a yeah targeted sideboard card. i i'm really struggling to like you could bring it in in the other matchups but i would just rather have a negate yeah um so, yeah. I know, but I, I only have so much room for these like, blue instants in my sideboard, so slightly worse negate might still be good. And, right. You know? Yeah, you have to find room for blue instants and sweepers. And your bit. three lessons. Right. And your, oh god, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so still some things to figure out there, for sure, for the Izzet strategies. Um, but I, you know, I think that it as it stands right now, is... You know, people have kind of like figured out a good blue-red shell that isn't Phoenix stuff mm-hmm. because the Phoenix decks look very different than like this divide by zero kind of like style of shell. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I think that we've just like discovered and is it a strategy that can compete against the other mid-range stuff mm-hmm. where Phoenix kind of falls short against Rakdos. So, um, yeah, yeah, and I I just can't. Phoenix can keep up with Rakdos as long as Rakdos, like, completely ignores the concept of, like, opponents having graveyards and stuff and, like, cuts their graveyard trespassers and then doesn't have any hearses in the sideboard or whatever. But I don't think we're at that stage yet. And playing against 20% Rakdos and a lot of these decks have, like, four Shieldreds in them is not good for, like, you know, at some point Phoenix could come back around. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think it's kind of suicide to register Phoenix right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
well, I I think it's just kind of suicide to register any deck that is like a dog to Rakdos at the yeah. moment. If you're walking into a room and you're like, I don't right, want well, to get paired against Rakdos. I really hope I don't get paired against twenty percent of the field. Bad I would, plan. I would probably choose something else. <laughs> yeah, you got to be like. <laughs> You know, eighty percent against everybody else. <laughs> That's really high. <laughs> and even then, ah, oh, man, I don't know. Like, if you just you're just gonna play Rakdos four to five times at this tournament, and you know, if you're just gonna lose two to three of those, then mm-hmm. your hopes for the tournament are gonna be very difficult. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, Which is, you know, definitely one of the things. Like the two things that that attract me to playing the Chandra top end over the creativity top end is that I think that you do have a little bit better of a percentage against Rakdos, and then you have Reckoner Bankbusters in your sideboard, which help contribute to the Rakdos matchup, mm-hmm. and then also are just really good and and against other blue decks against too. blue eye control against the mirrors, mm-hmm. um, you know, against these bring to light decks. It's just like you know a lot of like the slower stuff that is like. Playing some blue counter spells and like trying to play Drago sometimes, yeah, Reckoner Bankbuster is just so so good there. Yep, yep, I believe that. Hard for me to give up Tarnjal Gear Hulk though. I, I mean, if it's what you practice with, yeah, I, I love think that there's card. A lot to say about that, and it's been really good. So, <laughs> I will also say that um, we have done like some like predictive modeling on your <laughs> like metagame win percentages for a lot of the popular decks. And this is not a perfect exercise by any means. Of course. Um, it's mostly just like an exercise that like highlights your already you know preconceived notions of what's good and what's bad in the format. Um, but one thing that we did notice is that um, pretty much all of the top decks have a pretty close to 50% expected win rate against the field. Mm-hmm. And one thing that that indicates to me is, you know, you should just play what you understand the best. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you believe that you find a deck that is inherently more powerful than the rest of the field, you should play that. But then if you feel like you, like everything is just kind of like, you know, uh, plateaued a little bit in terms of power level, um, yeah, just, you know, play whatever you think is the best and, and well positioned enough um, that, you know, just, yeah, play what you know. If, you, yeah. if you're very familiar with gear hulk sequencing... That's going to give you more percentage points than like maybe Chandra's like a better card or whatever. Yeah, I think. I and I think that's really true. I think that it is very difficult to get a significant deck edge over the meta game, and so playing something that you just have the reps with is going to make a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. And also playing something that your opponents may be worse at playing against can be good too. But I mean, I think that that cuts a lot of ways. Like I think not that many people have played against Chandra turns significantly. Right. So if that's what you're on, then great. And yeah. uh, I I think that what you have the time into and what you feel, you know, it's open deck lists. You're going to see what your opponent's sideboard is. And what that means is you need to be able to take that information very quickly and adjust your sideboarding to like, oh, my opponent has these Narcissus reversals. How do I change my Lotus Field plan knowing that my opponent has these Narcissus reversals? How right. do I, I know my opponent has like all of these ley lines of the void. How do I change my deck around like knowing that that is a thing? Mm-hmm. And the more familiar you are with your deck, the more easily you can adjust to that like burst of information that you can get when your opponent hands you their deck list at the beginning of the match. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I'm going to be like handing people this Chandra turns list and they're mm-hmm. gonna see you know Chandra's and Aldrin's epiphanies and and you know is it cards and that's not it gonna be easy to like coalesce into like oh yeah I know what this is about yeah or whatever um whereas you know if you hand somebody a creativity deck they're gonna be like okay what are the threats it's a gear hulk deck or right. you know it's a worm deck or whatever and I like I've played against this before yeah so um yeah so there's definitely that edge for sure yeah, definitely the, like, you know, I've been high on Gearhulk for a while, and I, like, wrote about it and stuff, and then it's validating that it won Valencia. Yeah. Like, that, I was like, yeah, great. I, like, kind of picked that out, and the deck is quite good. But then it's also like, ah, oh, there's a little more attention getting paid to this. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, hey, uh, never mind, actually. Don't I, worry about it. <laughs> I really want to uh, play the deck that just won the tournament last week. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think that you, a lot of people will, probably. Um, so, uh, 
you know, something to consider. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Narcissus um, reversal is good in the actual mirror. Yeah. Catching a magma opus with Narcissus reversal is uh, where you want to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, and I will say that um, uh, I want to talk about this deck because I've been considering it very heavily and we're not going to get to it because mm-hmm. it's not a high percentage deck. But I am a big fan of Bring Delight, um, the Omnath Bring Delight deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chain of Locks, uh, Leyline's Binding, Omnath's Bring Delight stuff. Yeah. Um, and not, not the Niv-Mizzet version. Not the like Niv-Mizzet version. Fable. No Yorians. We actually have a Gigantha. Um, and uh, I was really, really high on that deck and realized that the it matchup is pretty bad it's tough yeah. it's pretty tough you, you know, can win you can win and you've got some like good lines and stuff and mm-hmm. if you're pay- patiently then that's really good but um you are just kind of like inherently a dog against counterspell decks mm-hmm. um and uh the prevalence of is it and kind of like the the increase in meta share that we've seen out of is it recently has kind of made me not want to play bring light anymore because i was like okay the matchups that I want to have good matchups in are uh, Rakdos, Monogreen. Uh, Bring Delight does that really well. But the third pillar, I think that the biggest third pillar right now is these Izzet decks. And I think that Bring Delight is just a dog there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to have like 50 or better matchups against like the top three or four, if possible. And I think that I have been able to find that in this Izzet deck and not anywhere else. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, just, I don't know. I have been having a lot of fun with Pioneer and like watching the format change in small ways. I know all of the criticisms of Pioneer and stuff, but I still I like getting on and playing a league. Like I have fun playing these cards. So yeah i don't know to all the criticisms i've been seeing so many people like you know him and ha and you know oh whoa no about pioneer but come on it's not that bad it's you know you're playing magic cards it is a deeply interactive form like i i so the one thing that really like boggles me is when people are talking about how it's so like opening hand dependent and like you don't care what your opponent is doing like I mean, and I've been playing interactive decks most of the time, so I'm not playing, like, Lotus Field versus Lotus Field or anything like that. Yeah. But, like, all of my games are cards trading for cards, looking for a spot where I can spend main phase mana and I hope to not get punished or hold up some sort of interaction, like, get my Fable down and do something. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I am navigating these games around what I think is in my opponent's hand and what I hope is not in my opponent's hand, and... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think the one valid criticism is that the die roll is definitely highlighted a lot is. more in this format than in others. But that's just kind of always true in Magic. I mean, I think that element of Magic is definitely highlighted in Pioneer right now. You know, a lot of the cards that are good right now are significantly better on the play than they're on the draw of the Mirror Breaker. Fable. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> um, but you know, so right, it is true that if you win the die roll, then um, you are going to be advantaged, but... Um, and this is one of the draws to the is it, you know, mm-hmm. interactive core, is that... We play when, a lot of cards that are good on the draw. Yeah, Fire Impulse and Make Disappear mean that you can lose a die roll and be fine. And right. anytime your opponent just casts a Fable and you Make Disappear and then cast your own Fable, like, you have just reversed that completely. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a big draw to is it for me as well, is... Uh, Mage Spear is just good on the drop against mm-hmm. all these good three drops. Yep. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the games are interesting. Um, there's a lot of interaction happening. I don't really view a lot of these decks as like ships passing in the wind or whatever. Yeah. I, there, are, there are certainly matchups that are like that. Um, you know, Lotus Field has a lot of matchups like that. Um, and Lotus Field is a very good deck. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that if you choose to be interactive, you know, there's a lot of decks right now that are mid-range decks that have game against Lotus Field because you have cards that disrupt them in some capacity. Yeah, the best deck is black-red (laughs) mid-range. Yeah, Yeah, that's a fine best deck. It's it's a good best deck to have, you know, 
Um, there's <laughs> there's no Hogax or anything. Yeah, despite despite what some certain <laughs> tweets may may ask you to believe. Right. Yeah. None of these none of these linear decks I don't think are too powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. You know, Thoughtseize should be the best card in the format. Um, I yeah. I mean, and and you know, like I complain a reasonable about, reasonable amount about getting Thoughtseize so much, but mm-hmm. what that really meant is like adapt to Thoughtseize. Like, behold the multiverse just sort of like didn't really exist in pioneer for a while and then we just started playing behold the multiverse in a bunch of blue decks it's the best card against thoughtseize like you get to make these decisions based on what the good cards are in the format and make corrections to what you're putting in your deck right yeah um yeah so yeah i I guess all that is to say that i agree that i think that uh i've been really enjoying pioneer it's pretty fun it's good it's good format i've been enjoying it A a lot of good stuff going on yeah um what other decks should we yeah, talk about? Yeah, so we got to talk about Greasefang. Yeah. Um, Greasefang is an ever-present element of Pioneer. Um, you know, everybody's always worried about Greasefang. Yeah. And there are always going to be four to five cards in your sideboard for Greasefang. Um, Grease Fortunately, Fang, there's a lot of axes you can interact on. Yeah, in right. There's to... a lot of stuff that you can do to interact with Greasefang. And Greasefang, not the most consistent deck, I'll say. Um, so... You know, you can definitely just kind of dirtle around and lose as Greasefang. Um, yeah. And, I mean, one of the, I think, really obnoxious things for Greasefang is the number of Shieldreds in the Rakdos decks means that a Seekers Chariot doesn't function as well as a backup yes. plan anymore. Shieldred is a huge problem for Greasefang because, you know, your backup plan used to be Chariot. And mm-hmm. Chariot used to be, like, the good thing to do against Rakdos because, you know, look at all this value. I get a 4-4 four, four, and two two twos, Yeah. And then they played a 4-5. And that sucks for you. <laughs> yes. A 4-5 yeah. that ends the game in, yeah. like, the clock Short is order. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah, Greasefang... Um, Greasefang in Europe was uh, was 5.5% of the metagame um, and only had a 9% conversion rate. Not awesome. Did not perform very well. Um, I think that people are just like, you know, good at playing against Greasefang right now and that is most of the story. Is that Greasefang definitely shines when your opponent says, you know, oops, didn't mean to and taps out or whatever and you're able to get them. Um, the is it core is also naturally pretty advantaged yes. against Greasefang. I think that's a big part of it as well. Is that is it is on the rise? Um, the Abzid matchup against is it is pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, when you get to fiery impulse, the Greasefang and trade one mana for three mana, yeah. and you know you just don't. You can tap your mana to do your stuff and then leave up very cheap interaction that stops them from grease fanging you yeah. so that makes their mid-range game very difficult to execute against you know because the mid-range game hinges on like oh man they keep passing the turn with all of this mana up to stop grease fang from happening and then i just get to like cast liliana cast chariot yeah and if you just kind of get to yeah i'll cast this fable of the mirror breaker and hold up one mana interaction from here mm-hmm. then that that's really good for you and i i do think that this is one of the places where gear hulk gets even more percentage than anything else because the card torrential gear hulk is borderline unbeatable for <laughs> the grease fang deck right yes no that's true yeah the gear hulk version i think is better than most well i think that both creativity versions are going to be better against um grease fang than the chandra version at least mm. because both like creativities usually will just yeah you can just the kill game. them when you creativity yeah right um you know, if you're the if you're the Gear Hulk deck, then it's not the creativity side of things; it's the Gear Assault side of things that's really insane. But yeah. if you're the Worm deck, then you just kill your opponent with worms. Um, yeah, yeah. Just being able to like you know interact until they die is pretty fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Greasefang suffering definitely. Um, Lotus combo on the other hand. Did um, great. Just I is it best, like, is this what we're just always going to see every like pioneer big paper tournament weekend is like people don't ever do a good enough job of respecting lotus field the deck is powerful and then people who know how to play it are just gonna smash people with it i think so for sure i mean um you know lotus field is it's one of those decks that's like 
it's hard to get good practice against because mm-hmm. a majority of people who are playing it on leagues are like playing it for the first time and then they like flub their combo and lose and you just are like well I wanted to you know, I, I really wanted to test my metal against <laughs> a lotus player and then they didn't do anything and died the main thing that I'm trying to do this weekend is get matches in right. against lotus fields yeah. so so okay so a it's hard to um, get good reps against lotus field b um, you know, in Watsi headquarters or whatever, when they're looking at the win rates of all of these decks mm-hmm. through Magic Online to perceive whether or not something is too good in the format, yeah. the win rates for Lotus Field are completely muddled by all of the bad Lotus Field players yeah. that are on leagues. So, like, there's just, like, no data that indicates that Lotus Field is, like, too good in that regard. <laughs> um but yeah. I don't think Lotus Field is too good. I don't think either. it's too good. But I it, think it that I think that the weirdness comes from Lotus Field just keeps not existing online. People right. don't want to play the, this like finicky-ish combo deck online mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason. People don't really play it online. We all get soft to it. We like forget the Damping Sphere is a card, and then we show up to a paper tournament. Lotus Field exists again, mm-hmm. and then we get bodied by it. Right. And if Lotus Field just like kept existing, and we just like were you know paid the tax, put the damping spheres and the Narcissus reversals in our sideboard, then you know it would all be fine. It would all balance itself out. But it just keeps like it's just the specter of Pioneer that keeps reemerging. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think that Lotus Field is a good deck for this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that your matchup spread is pretty strong. Um, you have a good matchup against Rakdos, from my understanding. Your mono green matchup is not amazing. Not great. Uh, that's kind of the one that you're feeling like you have to dodge. Yeah. Um, but you're pretty good against is the it blue deck. Blue, yeah, just like islands generally. So that includes like you know, is it creativity stuff, blue white control stuff. Like the the Lotus Field deck is designed to be able to beat counter spells and designed by some very intelligent, you know. The, the oh, place yeah. you should be starting from is like the the team handshake version, like the one that Nathan played right. with the big creatures in the sideboard. And Lotus Field is it's been through the ringer. Yeah, it, the 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 iteration that it currently exists is a strong one. People are talking about playing Chandra's in the deck, and I think that might be fine. But I also think that it might be bad. Um, so, it's one slot. Like do yeah. whatever. My concern with the Chandra as like the Okay, well, I can use this as a value card, mm-hmm. in so it's better than peer or whatever. Right. I can easily cast it and get something out of it. Uh, like it is a little obnoxious that all the blue decks bring in their ether gusts because they have so many cards to take out. Yeah. And so then if you're just like, oh, I'll cast a Chandra and then I'll plus it and cast the hidden strings, and then it's just like, oh yeah, I turned on their ether gust this turn and <laughs> oops, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I did see this like kind of crazy out of left field Lotus Field deck um, on Twitter recently. I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but it was just it cut all of like the fluff cards. So no ultimatums, no tutors, oh, okay, none of that, and it was just four Chandra, just a ton of Chandras, three Leer, four Balagad recovery. Whoa, okay, just like that's what we do now is we ramp into Chandra and Chandra wins the game. I'm. Um, that moderately is, into that idea I, I guess yeah with like no you know very little lotus field reps under mm-hmm. my belt and none of reps with that deck under my belt yes yeah. it, it looks pretty good <laughs> so um you know you just like don't mess around with like all of like the hard to piece together stuff sure and you're just like all right well you know if i land a chandra and then i am able to also cast four of the pages that turn you're gonna die yeah and you dying is going to be me casting four more Chandras and doming you for five each time. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry about that, because I'll get you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. I'm kind of into it. Mm-hmm. I probably... I'm not going to put the time into it over the next two days to like, no, figure I'm, out if I'm, I should I'm be probably not going to registering I, Quad Chandra Lotus Field. If I was going to play Lotus Field in this tournament, I would have started practicing weeks ago yeah and i don't know i am i'm it's too late and this and this is why <laughs> right we never yeah. like respect lotus field never yeah. show up with it because we just don't right uh, I, yeah probably a leak in my game is the like the combo stuff s- sort of the combo stuff and specifically lotus field just mm-hmm. like 
am I am I putting in the time? I, I don't find it that fun to play, I guess. And you, I feel like either you're a combo guy or you're not. Yeah, kind of. You know, it's like, uh, you know, some people just like really love combo decks, you know, shout out to Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just always going to play them when they're good and they're going to do really well when they're good because um, that's the real house. But I don't know. I, you know, I played KCI. Um, I've been there. It's yeah. fun. It's a good time. Uh, and if the deck is like really, really busted, I'll put in the work for it. And I think that I can pilot one, but you know, I I don't know. Yeah. No, I get it. It's like, I found a deck that I kind of fell in love with multiple weeks ago and just Mm -hmm. sort of stuck with it. And And that is rewarding in and of itself. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you get similar dividends to that, like... It's dumb to play Magic and play decks that you're not enjoying playing. <laughs> like it's right. yeah. it's both going to hurt your win percentage and also this is a hobby. Like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> this is a what? What's a hobby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So okay. So we gotta talk a little bit more about Convoke. Mm-hmm. Convoke is doing some weird stuff now. Yeah. Leosaur. Regal Leosaur. Regal Leosaur. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people are putting a mutate card into Convoke, and in lieu of Reckless Bushwhacker. Bush, 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 <laughs> reckless Bushwhacker. Reckless Bushwhacker. I'm so glad you're not editing this podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that that card is good sometimes, but really bad some other times. Yeah. When you are recovering from a sweeper and sometimes you just need to do four or six damage uh when you are just like pushing and you need to haste up your gleeful destruction tokens to really get that damage in like there are spots especially when your opponent is not a putting power and toughness into play deck that bushwhacker just does things that no other card does i and so against decks that have sweepers Mm -hmm. which is a lot of decks right now um, the Bushwhacker being able to, like, haste out a fresh board, really crucial yeah. in my mind. Um, like, that, you know, you can't just, like, put stuff on the board and attack that turn with the Leosaur versions. It's a lot more difficult. Like, your best iteration of that is, like, hold up mana, play this flash couple of 1-1s, right. and then untap, and then you can attack with those 1-1s for a little more than two like I, yeah I, I don't really see it it's not um, the best versus sweepers it is very good versus blockers though yes that's where you push right. so much damage and their blocks become horrible because you've given your whole team plus two plus one you've given your ornithopter a permanent power boost and <laughs> that can keep hitting and that's relevant because ornithopter has flying against blocking creatures right and so yeah if you are playing again if you're expecting to play against more you know, mirrors, probably, I guess, more Rakdos uh, against more, like, green. Mm-hmm. Green is the big one yeah. for me. Is that I think that, you know, the the green matchup, if it wasn't already, like, pretty good for red-white, um, it gets a lot better with Leosaur. Mm-hmm. You just, like, you know, you turn your five creatures into 20 damage <laughs> just immediately. Right. Just bang. And you also don't... Ha- and, and you don't have to run... Burning Tree Emissary in order to run Reckless Bushwhacker. Mm-hmm. But you do get to guilt-free cut your Burning Tree Emissary if you yeah. are running Regal Leosaur and That's not fair. Bushwhacker. Yeah. yeah, you just don't miss it anymore. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a couple of versions. There's the Bushwhacker versions, there's the Leosaur versions, there's the Burning Tree versions. We don't really know what's good. Um, it's gotta... Yeah. It needs to cement itself a little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah. I am very i mean i'm certainly not registering it this weekend and i am not high on it overall as a deck right now no um there are some decks in some formats that get really popular on magic online and that has certainly happened with this red white convoke deck um and usually the archetype for this deck that gets really popular on magic online is that it is some red aggro aggro deck something with screenshot um, equity yeah ideally. screenshot equity you know big huge explosive like oh my god this is so broken like looking turns yeah um but i'm here to tell you that the red white deck it's not actually amazing <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not hogak it's you know relatively easy to exploit um it's yeah I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of takes as well that it's like, you know, 
uh, a screenshot of like four sweepers in your opponent's graveyard and then red white winning that match and i'm like yeah of course that's always possible with like any aggressive deck you yeah can, you if can they didn't sweepers. clock you back and you right. just kept drawing threats like, yeah like you know of course you can have that screenshot and post it and say you know like oh sweepers beat red white but you know. but they're not posting the screenshots of mm-hmm. the game that i drew one cinderclasm and then it wasn't even close like <laughs> right yeah um so you know red white it's it's a pioneer deck now um it's not t- horrible it wins a lot of games it's gonna 5 some leagues you know um but it's it's not the end-all be-all of like oh god you know red white's everywhere um so you know plan accordingly i, I suspect I suspect it will be a better choice this weekend than it was in Valencia, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people are going to follow the same arc that I'm kind of following, which was like, red-white started existing, I put the cinderclasms in my sideboard, Yeah, I now both, like, don't expect as much, like, I'm not, I don't believe that it's going to show up and be 12% of the metagame here or anything like that, mm-hmm. and I also, like... I don't think that the cinderclasms are necessary to give me a fine matchup against it. They certainly increase my percentage to yeah. whatever but it's really costly to put those sweepers in your sideboard so yeah. i i am probably not going to be registering sweepers in my sideboard because my deck doesn't need them as much for that type of matchup uh and i think that other people will probably go a little bit leaner than they would have last week on the boros hate cards and so probably you're getting a couple of percentage points overall against the metagame from that I don't know that that's enough to make it a deck that's, like, good this weekend, though. Yeah. But it won't be as atrocious as last weekend, I I believe. A deck that has gone through a little bit of a rollercoaster ride for me that I do think is better than I initially gave it credit for a couple weeks ago um, is Humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mono White. Um, That deck got, uh, or at least was taught by Boros Convoke <laughs> that the um, the Knight Errant Convoke card is actually just really good. It's just strong, yeah. Yeah. And um, it happens to be a human. Right. Yeah. It happens to be a human. Um, the, the Humans X are like playing a couple of those now. I don't know how many is correct. I'm seeing a lot of decks with two. Uh, I would consider the third. I don't. I haven't played it, though, so I don't know how like clunky they are on your average draw. Um, but that card has been very impressive out of humans and yeah. i think that like as an is it player i'm a lot more scared of humans than i am of convoke for, yeah and because like that card allowing them to refuel like a couple of times and thalia is a pain getting out, out of range of all my sweepers and thalia is a pain mm-hmm. um i i think that you know very early on in our testing for dallas i dismissed humans as a terrible deck it's <laughs> like this deck is you know it's a has-been. It's gone. You know, I just never lose to it. It's just really easy. Um, I think that the iterations as they currently exist are, like, yeah, kind of good again. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that that's thanks to them just including the Convoke card. Yeah, and a lot of times the Knight Errant is less about, like, ah, it's a creature that draws more creatures. I have so much cardboard. And more about, like, this is making my deck denser in Thalia's lieutenants than it was before. <laughs> yes, right. You the, the you know the disparity between your best mono white creature and your worst mono white creature is a lot. The, and the double lieutenant draws versus right. the no lieutenant. Yeah. You know the, that's the difference maker. And and the selection is a big part of that. It's right. like you know each of these cards are are uniquely very strong in particular matchups. So if you're able to like dig towards the good one that is in this matchup, True. Um, you know that can make a big difference. Yep. So. Um, so yeah, humans, um, humans performed fine, uh, pretty low sample size in, uh, in Europe. Uh, but you know, they did have a 23% conversion rate, um, which is, you know, up there with, uh, is it in mono green? Um, so I think one major thing to take away from the conversion rates and the win percentages and like what did well and stuff is you got to think really hard before you tread far afield out of the main decks in the metagame. Mm-hmm. These decks are the most heavily played decks for a reason. They're strong. Yeah. People have worked on them and developed them. And mostly the the jank, the one-offs, the nonsense decks uh, just got absolutely destroyed by the high-tier decks. Yeah. Uh, the, the little off-meta choices and stuff like that are not very good. And and the the 
because the question marks that are being applied to you are like, what do I do against the Thoughtseize deck, the Lanoir Elves deck, the Make Disappear deck, and then the, you know, the other things that we've talked about apply their own, like, constraints onto what you're doing. But those three, like, big question marks are things that require you to be asserting powerful cards early on in the game and then have plans going forward. These are the decks that do that, mm -hmm. and a lot of the kind of nonsense decks just can't keep up over yeah. the course of a tournament yeah um yeah you yeah i mean the the good decks are definitely there for reason there are a couple of decks that i have considered for this tournament outside of like the high metagame share decks mm -hmm. um you know early on i was playing some neoform atraxa mm -hmm. that deck's not very good yeah um you know and then i moved on to karuga fires for a little bit mm -hmm. and i do think the karuga fires is like good um, I think that I think that it is the best fires deck, um, and it's doing some really powerful things. And its sideboard, while it is only three <laughs> cards, it plays a lot of those cards, and those cards are very, very good and fix the problems that it needs to fix. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, Kruger fires, you know, I considered a little bit, and it, it might be a fine choice. Um, what ultimately like knocked you off of it? Um, you know I don't know. Uh, I just started playing other stuff, and I think that I I think that I like hit like a, a losing streak with Kruger Fires that was like, you know, yep. oh yeah, I don't have any cheap spells in my deck. Yeah, and that's a problem. <laughs> that's so, that, that's yeah. exactly what I ran into when it's right. like, yeah, you, you pick the deck up, you have a good league with it, and then you have one of the bad leagues where it's right. like. I'm drawing like one Bone Crusher Giant as mm -hmm. all of my cheap spells, and then everything else costs four mana. And yeah. oh, this interactive deck is suddenly like a no agency deck, right. and it doesn't feel good anymore. Yeah, I I mean I think also the other thing that put me off of it was um, the top three decks that I want to target for this tournament. Mm -hmm. I want to have fifty two better matchups against it, and there are a lot of decks that that just is not true for is it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the Kruger Fires is definitely one of those decks where your is it matchup, and is it is you know one last tournament it's going to be popular again. I I think it's going to be around ten percent of the meta game. Um, yeah, and I don't want to just lose to that when I play it two to three times. Sure. So, um, yeah, and I think that you know that was true for you know I also went on to bring delight Omnath for a while, um, and w when is it wasn't a very high share of the meta game. You know, this Bring the Light deck was, I think, secretly the best deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, you beat... You, you, like, you're you're heavily favored against both Rakdos and Monogreen mm -hmm. with that deck. You're just, you know... But you just are unfavored to Izzet. Yeah, you're just a dog um, to counter spells. You're unfavored to Izzet. You're unfavored to Greasefang, mm -hmm. which is another deck that's, like, pretty popular. And I don't really expect to do well overall. You know, I don't expect to put any numbers in top eight or a lot in day two, but... You're gonna play against Greasefang a couple times, probably. It's, in the it's honestly like the most popular than it as it ever has been. Yeah, like right now, and I don't know exactly why, but people, it, people like reanimating stuff. Yeah. It's the reanimate deck. I mean, you know, that's like there's an archetype of player who's like, oh, I'm gonna bring things big back from my graveyard. Mono green is generally at like one of its lower points. You know, just being. You know, we've got Rakdos at like twenty percent, and then Mono Green is like in in the milieu with the tier second mm -hmm. level of decks that people are playing. So instead of being fifteen percent of the metagame, it's down to like ten percent. You you yeah. do get Karned less right now. So yeah, um, yeah, but I I do think that people are going to notice the. I think that the green numbers are going to go up this past this next weekend. Okay, I think that there's going to be more green um, than there was last time. Uh, or at least, yeah, last weekend, uh, because, you know, people are looking at this little spreadsheet that I have pulled up right now, and, and looking at the decks that had good conversion rates, um, and I think that those decks are going to kind of turn into, like, the top five decks. Yeah. Um, I do think that a big, like, a, a weirdly impactful choice is, like, how many of the blue-white players are playing a laydown arms version. Mm -hmm. That was one of the most frustrating things for me playing green against blue white is just the way that laydown arms trades one mana for like five when I cast the finally yeah. get a cavalier of thorns into play, yeah. 
And the versions that don't have laydown arms are just not nearly as efficient at stopping your stuff in ways that are like crushing to you and then let them cast memory deluge. Right. And so that that's the question. Like, are are we playing against like temporary lockdown non laydown arms decks, or are we playing against laydown arms decks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Big question. And yeah. And blue red players are they're looking for something new and different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're. The, the iterations that existed last weekend performed poorly. Does that mean that there are going to be no blue-white players next weekend? No, it does not. Nope. It means that there's, you know, the blue-white players are blue-white players. Nothing's more tenacious than somebody who <laughs> wants to show up to a match and play 60 turns totally. <laughs> yes. Um, so they're going to they're gonna reconfigure their deck, um, and who knows whether or not they'll be successful there, but um, they'll, they'll be around. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Should we get back to testing? We got anything else to talk about first? I gotta cook some salmon uh, yeah. for the crew. So yeah, yeah we gotta <laughs> let you go. Yeah. Cool. Well then, nice, short and sweet episode. Mm-hmm. I that's what we are thinking about. Stuff that I'm gonna really be focusing on in the next couple of days before the tournament. I want to get my Lotus Field matchup right. I want to make sure that I am playing the best that I can against the other blue decks in the format because mm-hmm. I kind of. I get the sequencing against the decks that are casting their stuff at sorcery speed against me. It's the we should play some mirrors. Yeah, we should play yeah. some mirrors. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Really, really appreciate it, Collins. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, always a pleasure. And uh, have a great week. And if you're at Dallas, come say hey. We will be there. We'll be there. Peace. Bye. <laughs>